The Athletic. Son. Oh, it's a great ball. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly and I'm your host for The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's all Spurs, all killer and no filler. I'm joined on the podcast today by the Athletics' Jack Pitt-Brook to reflect on Spurs' third straight win to start the Premier League season with a bang. Um, we'll get into that game shortly, but first, Jack, we need to discuss one of the more important issues of the weekend. Um, last week on the podcast, we had a lot of discussion about Gareth Bale and his revolutionary rowing machine, the robot. And I've only just worked out that it's a pun, robot. And Jack, with your unerring diligence to duty, I understand you have now tried, tested and triumphed over the robot. Yeah, so I went to uh, one of the robots gyms, in, uh, it's the one in Shoreditch, to do a, the their kind of Saturday morning row, rowing class oh. on on Saturday. And when you do it, that Gareth Bale interview in The Guardian that we were dr- talking about the other week, it all makes sense because, you know, his, Gareth Bale's famous slogan, it's time to hashtag switch on, is literally written on all the walls <laughs> of the gym. And uh, the instructor wore a vest saying, it's time to hashtag switch on. And he was repeatedly telling me to switch on as I tried, you know, with some difficulty, to complete the uh, the rowing exercises. I have no insider knowledge of the world of football. I've made, I've made strenuous efforts while making my living out of talking about it not to become a football insider. And I had lots of rows on Twitter after that piece with Gareth came out. People saying, um, you know, the, I was saying the rowing machine thing is so ridiculous. People were saying, what do you say? He might genuinely like rowing. And I, eventually you have to say, oh, sigh. Um, he's got a rowing machine company, the slogan for which is hashtag switch on. He's never seen this uh, this Q&A. It's his PR. And it was really, it was actually a deadening experience because people, bless them, they want to argue with you, but they come armed with only their fists. You need facts as well. How did you get on with the rowing machine, would you say? Uh, it was hard work. It was really hard work. And it was done in a kind of, the the session was set up almost as if it were in a night in a nightclub so in a very dark room with very loud music and uh, as in a nightclub everyone was you know sweaty and tired uh <laughs> but which kind of ad- added to the physical challenge of the experience but we uh, yeah we kind of got through it in the end okay so it was a dark sweaty nightclub any sign of michael gove <laughs> no 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 okay uh no 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 sign of michael gove one there for the politics fans around you he's a qpr fan isn't he uh, oh, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. What, what politicians and their ever-shifting football allegiances, I try to keep out of that as well. Well, well done for having the... I mean, in all seriousness, Jack, did you do that just to see what the fuss was about? No. So my uh, my personal trainer uh, took me and the other members of my fitness group there as a sort of fu- as a fun day out. And it was fun. I did, I did very much enjoy it, but I also felt like I got a window into sort of Gareth Bale's rowing empire. <laughs> Right, people, um, Spurs fans, and why else would you be anything else joining us on this podcast? Uh, we'll be saying get on with it because, of course, um, we must allow ourselves a small moment of triumphant crowing here. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm not one for saying, oh, it's only three games and all the rest of it because life is so full of kicks in the pants. Why wouldn't you celebrate every small triumph? So, yes, Spurs are top of the league after three games. And... 
Uh, the manager has made the best start of any Spurs manager since the since Arthur Rowe, who took over the team in 1948, got them promoted in 1950, and won the title in England in 1951. Though they've still got some way to go to equal the double winning team, who I think won 10 or 11 on the spin at the start of the season, a record matched by Manchester City a couple of years ago. It's wonderful. They're top of the table. I don't get past halfway down the table now, so I have no idea where the other North London team is, none at all. But Jack, I think it's right having celebrated it and hooted. Um, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, are they actually playing that well? What does the evidence of our own eyes tell us? You were at the game. Yeah, I was at the game. I think they're, they're playing well in some senses. So they're playing well in the sense that they're not conceding goals. They're very, very good at the back. Uh, Nuno said after the game that clean sheets were the beginning of everything which I thought was a good insight into into his approach. Uh, they're good in terms of, you know, they're very coordinated when they haven't got the ball, they're pressing. Nuno spoke about that. And you can you can already, you can just tell what they're trying to do. They've got this narrow front three. They've got a very hard-working midfield. Delhi and Hoybjerg get through a lot of running to press the opposition and make it difficult for them. So they're good at that too. What they're not good at, Danny, is creating chances, really. Because no. they, they don't. You know, Son, Son's goal was... Fairly lucky, I think. Uh, the keeper should really. Oh, have it was kept a mess. It out. Messed for the goalkeeper, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. After that, I thought they had enough chances to go two 0 up. They got a bit more dangerous when Lucas Moura came on. He started running at defenders, but they're not really yet at the stage of creating chance a stream of chances from open play. I, I, I totally take what you're saying, but it is. Fa- it also happens to be a fact that Beckman made. Um, more saves than any goalkeeper has made so far in the Premier League this season. But that, to me, is a reflection, I'd love to get your view on this, that we've gone into a new place in football, that the absolute supremacy of possession stats means that people don't shoot and put the ball into the area as, as often as they used to do. People don't buy the famous ticket for the lottery. They're almost afraid to give the ball away by having a go. So you're not going to see teams peppering the opposition, Manchester City accepting again, with shots at goal, are you? Uh, yeah, I think teams are probably a bit more reluctant to, to shoot from distance, but equally that's borne out by you know, statistics show that having pot shots in 25 yards, the ball is so unlikely to go in that you're probably better off passing it to someone else. You might find another way through. I just think the, the way that Spurs play, they're not really set up to create chances. You know, they've got a lot of the time in that 4-3-3, Tanganga's the kind of overlap option. And then, you know, we've spoken about what a fantastic young defender he is. He's not really very good going forward yet. No. Maybe he will be, but he's not now. Hoybjerg keeps on getting into good positions. And again, he's a brilliant defensive midfielder. Lots of le- lots of running, great engine. But he's not, I mean, he's not David Silva. He's not Christian Eriksen, is he? He's not a natural finisher as the, tra- as the trade He's not going to play a genius pass that nobody no. else on the pitch could spot. So I just think they're, they're, they're quite mechanical, Tottenham, some, at the moment. And they just, uh, my, my own view is that they need a little bit of something extra, something different in that midfield. Uh, this would be mine as well. And no criticism of any of the three individuals involved. A midfield three of Hoiberg, Deli Alley, and Oliver Skip. It's too much the same. It's all one flavour, isn't it? And we'll see if they can do something about that. I mean, of course, this was never meant to be the case. And we'll get on to the, uh, the continuing mystery of Tanguy and Dombley because he was supposed to be that X factor. And it just hasn't worked as yet. That's some... Uh, you mentioned the goal. It was perhaps, perhaps one of the softer goals that Son Heung-min will get in his career. His 200th Premier League game for Spurs, they paid, what was it, 20-odd million for him, perhaps a little more. I can't imagine there have been many better bargains in the Premier League history. He is a fantastic bloke, a fantastic player. And if I'm being honest, I was slightly surprised to see him signing his new contract quite so easily. 
Yeah, so what's amazing about Son is that even in his first season, he didn't really play that much. And he he famously, in the summer of 2016, he really wanted to go. He wanted to go back to Germany and he asked Pochettino if he could go. And they talked about it a lot. And then I think Pochettino decided, no, I want you to stay. And, you know, five years on, he's now a, a modern legend of the club who has won people over, not just for his brilliant performances, but also, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but he plays the game the right way. He's enthusiastic. He's... He's a very honest person who wears his heart on his sleeve, and the fans, you know, the fans have really warmed to to that warmth and that honesty. In terms of stay, in terms of staying at the club, my take on this really is that I think Son is the type of player who, if it wasn't for COVID, might have had some other offers. In the sense that COVID obviously hasn't hurt the market for players like Ronaldo, Messi. Mbappe, yeah, uh, at the very, very top end. What of you the might game. call us the social media Grealish. players, yeah, yeah. But the merely brilliant, the merely very good players like Son, for example, there's not quite so much market for those players right now. And you kind of see that a little bit with Harry Kane this mm-hmm. summer, who obviously wanted to go, didn't get the offers he was expecting to get. There, there is part of me that thinks that if it wasn't for COVID, someone like a Bayern Munich, for example, or Real Madrid would have had a look at Son and thought, fantastic, you know, sixty million quid, we'll go and get him. Mm-hmm. But Obviously, that hasn't happened because that level of team just above Spurs don't really have any money at the moment. So I think it's it's worked really well well for both parties that Son, the Tottenham have given Son this big new deal. They've secured Son until well into his thirties. Yeah, he's there. He's there for for for, for the rest of yeah. his career now. And uh, I noticed that Ruben Diaz, brilliant defender at Manchester City, has signed the dreaded six-year contract today. I bet <laughs> I bet he's got all the uh, I's dotted and the T's crossed after what's yeah. happened to how can we put it, poor Harry Kane. Over yeah. the summer, I think on Son. Sorry, one more thing on yeah. Son. I think what's one thing that I really like about Son, or that I think is very important, is given that Harry Kane's gone in, you know, had this obviously pretty difficult and stressful summer experience. Son, I think, has kind of stepped into. He feels like a bit more of a leader on the team. You know, he's the guy that gets the fans going. He's the one who always does the post-match media, that sort of thing. You can see him rallying his teammates on the pitch, and I feel like given that Kane has not quite been able to be that leader for obvious reasons at the moment, Son has. And it's just underlines Son's importance to Tottenham, both in a playing capacity and a non-playing capacity. Yeah, I would make the point. I had noticed too that uh, Son was doing all of the post-match um, interviews. Um, they obviously can't let Harry Kane in front of a camera until the transfer window is actually closed on Tuesday night. Until then, Harry can't be allowed anywhere near a microphone or a camera. Um, a worrying, maybe not worrying, I don't know the details. You're, you're probably more in on this than me. Last night after the game, um, Christian Romero, uh, second highest uh, transfer fee ever for a Spurs player, hasn't started a Premier League game yet, photographed on what looked a very luxuriously appointed private jet and with his teammate Giovanni Lo Celso and two of Aston Villa's um, Buendia and Martinez, two of their Argentinian players, ignoring the Premier League edict and the club edict about not going to South America for the World Cup qualifiers, waving goodbye with a, with a, with a, a cheery shake of the hand. And I've worked out, unless I've got this wrong, if they play in the three World Cup qualifiers, of course they're squeezing an extra one in because they didn't do the qualifiers during the made-up South American Championship of the summer, these boys will come back and miss four Tottenham games unless they've done some deal with the club, the government, or their own FA. Yeah, it's a mess. I think they're assuming that Lacelso and Romero go to all three breaks. I don't think they're going to play that much for Tottenham between now and December because 
It's not, you know, it's not like having 10 days out of the team being banned where you could train, for example. They're going to be 10 days in a Heathrow Ibis, <laughs> unable to, you know, unable to do the, the training work required because it's a government, it's a government mandated quarantine program for people coming back from red list countries. So, and look, there, there's some speculation that they might only play the first two games, the Brazil game, then come back. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know that. I can't confirm that at this point. And even if they, but even if they did that, it would still be hugely disruptive to their season, you know. And it is going to damage their availability for Tottenham in a big way. Yeah, and uh, I mean, other clubs, no doubt, will have. Uh, presumably, all the Argentine players in the Premier League got together and said, "This is what we're going to do." I can't imagine yeah. these four have just decided um, uh, over one of those strange cups with the silver with the silver <laughs> yeah. straw that they that they drink. Is it mate it's called? Yeah. So I think it was Bren I think it was initially Emmy Martinez and Brendia who first went public about this. I mean to be honest, I mean obviously it's a complete mess and it's incredibly disruptive for Tottenham and mm. a huge pain in the ass for Nuno. I do have a lot of sympathy with Lo Celso and Romero. And I know they're you know Tottenham pay their wages and Tottenham pay them very well for what they do. You know, that mm. goes without saying. But particularly in that part of the world, like playing for your country, playing, playing for your country if you're Argentina is so important. And on top of that, this is probably going to be Messi's last World Cup. You know, he might a 39-year-old Lionel Messi might go to USA 2026, but this is going to be Messi's last World Cup as an established top player. The Argentina team have just won Messi his first Copa America, uh, which was a huge achievement after I think Messi had lost three or four yeah. Copa finals yeah. with Argentina. And I just think that. Helping Messi get to the Qatar World Cup next year is hugely important. It's it's it's, and I'm sure if you're Lascelles and Romero, you think getting Messi to Qatar is more important, frankly, than even these Tottenham games in the next few months. And I know that that kind of sucks for Tottenham because they pay these guys and much more than the AFA do. But that, I think that's just kind of the reality of the situation. It's very, very... It's difficult for any player to say no to their country. And I'm sure we'll see similar versions of this story with other players who play for different countries in Latin America. But I think just the specifics of Argentina and a 34-year-old Lionel Messi. just And the fact that Argentina started pretty badly. You know, they've won... I think they've won three and drawn three so far, which means that they're kind of miles behind Brazil. And, you know, if they have a few more bad results, then they could be at risk of not going. And for Argentine, like for Argentine, if Argentina don't qualify for Qatar, it is a tragedy for football. And I think that Romero and Lacelso feel a strong sense of responsibility, not just to Argentinian football, but to football everywhere, that Messi has to be at the World Cup. So I, I do sympathise with them on that. I'm on sure that that's a view owned by PSG and therefore Lionel Messi's new Qatari owners. And if there was any danger of Argentina not qualifying for the World Cup, I suspect just as moving the World Cup was found, there was found a way around that, I suspect um, Lionel Messi, even if Argentina finished bottom of the qualifying group, I guarantee you they would take part in the World Cup in Qatar, even if they have to extend the number of teams who are allowed into it, Jack. And we'll see what the club has to say about this um, because they may have done some some deal. But as you rightly say, there are three of these uh, uh, international breaks between now and Christmas, which means that uh, Christian Romero will, may not start his Spurs career at all. How, how lucky are we then that uh, Sanchez and Dyer, um, so derided at the end of the last season, are now apparently world beaters? Um, I'm glad to see that. I think there's decent footballers inside both those lads. They've just gone completely off the boil in the last eight or nine months. I remember when Mourinho used to say that the uh, Spurs couldn't keep clean sheets because of what he called the individual characteristics of their defenders. And it, you know, it turns out the individual characteristics of Davidson Sanchez, Colombia International, Eric Dyer, England, England International, are not actually that bad. With my Hackney Marshes um, coaching qualifications, I'll say this. 
unless you are something extraordinary, defending the edge of your own six-yard box ine- inevitably leads to mistakes because it's an, it must be a nervous wreck. At least they've moved out yeah. uh, the penalty area now. And let's have a quick break. When we come back, um, I'll remind people, we're recording this on Monday, sort of uh, midday, and therefore we've got about a uh, day and a half before the transfer window. Let me just check my contract. Yes, I, I have to say it slams shut. And we'll talk about what Spurs have and haven't done in the transfer window. Um, you're listening to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, and Jack Pitbrook. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General. Give you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. Okay, if you open your own window and listen carefully uh, out the window, you'll hear the sound of creaking. That is, of course, the transfer window getting ready to close. Just a day or so to go. Jack, I'm going to ask you a simple question, which is what more business can Spurs expect to do with your insider knowledge of the world of football via your prestigious uh, employment at The Athletic? But the background to my question is this. If I include people like Troy Parrott, Spurs have let nine international players go in this transfer window, um, either back to their own clubs like Gareth Bale or sold them on or loaned them out. Nine. In replacements, they've got a reserve goalkeeper, a kid winger who may or may not make the grade, and a fully-fledged Argentinian international who is going to spend until between now and Christmas, as we discussed, on aeroplanes back and forth to Buenos Aires. My question about what more business they can expect to do is because secretly... I don't think Spurs have done enough. Well, I, I don't know. I think they might. Have, I think they're getting close to having done enough. Just because I think the issues with the Spurs squad, the Spurs squad isn't as bad as it's looked for the last year or two. That's always been my view. It's also a squad which has real quality, certainly up front, and some pretty good, like some midfield, some very good midfielders who've not really shown enough for Spurs. Lucelso and Ndombele. Um, Delhi's basically not really done anything for the last two or three years. So there's a lot of talent there. I think it just needed a bit of, I think it needed a thinning out, which it's got. It needed a bit of extra depth and a bit of extra youth, which it's got um, in Galini and Gill. And 
it needed extra quality in defence, which has gotten Romero. I think the one other thing it needed was a, a top-class right-back, and that, I think, is still the outstanding issue. And, of course, you know, if Romero isn't available for the, for the next few months, then that signing isn't looking quite as smart. But I, I don't think there are a million... I know there's frustration that from fans who want another two or three players in, and, of course, it would be better if they could get another two in. Maybe they will do. But I don't think it's quite as... I'm not quite as down on the transfer business as some people. No, I wouldn't say I was down there, but I, I'm slightly my. I have one raised eyebrow, um, brackets the left. Actually, I find it easier to do. They did need thinning that squad. It did need thinning out, and yet the ones who would have been favourites for out thinning, people like Aurier, are still there. And I, I've got to say, and we'll talk about Peritici uh, very, very soon. Um, the cheek of him offering Barcelona Serge Aurier um, when they're after um, Emerson Royal. Incidentally, my favourite name for a footballer currently in employment. So I would like him to come to Spurs just because he's called Emerson Royal. Perisici obviously understands that football is chaos and you might just offer Barcelona Serge Aurier. And it's, oh, yeah, fantastic. Thank you. In this case, they have not uh, fallen for his trick, which leaves, uh, I think, one of the ones that was obviously going to be a real problem to get to get uh, off the books was Tange and Dombele. I'm not even sure I want him to go because it's clear one game in five that there is a very, very interesting firework line breaker of a footballer in there. But of course, the Premier League demands so much more of you, and it's that that Tange can't seem to get going. But if he if he if he stays now, the fact that he hasn't played a minute of pre-season and not been allowed on the pitch for any of these games, including European games, Nuno's going to have to change his tune and at least try and get something out of him, isn't he? Because um, you can't have a 200 grand a week person just sitting around the club sulking. I think there is going to be... I, I'm sure we will see an Ndombele reintegration in the next few weeks. Clearly, Tottenham have been trying to find a new club for him over the course of the summer, as they have with Aurier and Sissoko. Uh, Sissoko, they've succeeded, selling him to mm. Watford. Aurier, as we're currently recording Tuesday 2pm, as it stands, Aurier is still a Spurs player. I, I kind of feel they will just find something, but they haven't done yet. Whereas in Dombele, they tried, but they, they couldn't find one. You know, The fact is, he's on 200 grand a week. If he'd gone out on loan, there would have been an expensive loan fee of a few million pounds. It, w- it wouldn't have been an easy deal to do. And just teams sort of turned their nose up at him. So I think Spurs decided over the weekend that he would stay. And now they really have to make the most of it. I'm sure we'll see him slowly, probably back in the Europa Conference League first, then maybe challenging in the Premier League games. But as we were saying earlier, the one the Spurs do lack a bit of magic in the middle at the moment, don't they? They do. It's all it's all very functional. And um, I mean, look, I'm I'm a I'm on the pro and side of the argument. Mm-hmm. I'm an undonbeliever, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> but I um, I totally accept the case against him as well, and why some people haven't been impressed by his contribution over the two years, which has been patchy at best. But I would like to see him back in the team. I think he he offers something a bit different and a bit special. I would like to see him back in the team as well, Jack. But you can't put him in the team. I mean, I've got to be careful here because it's so easy to characterise players. I don't see him training. In matches, he is strong, but he is not fit. He doesn't look like he has the physical wherewithal to play 75 minutes of Premier League football at the kind of pace, and this season in particular, when there's a little bit more tackling going on, at the kind of rough and tumble that's necessary. And I don't know how you get that back into a player or into a player. And we shall see... What they, what they do about it. You mentioned Musoko there. I was delighted that both he and Danny Rose got a chance at White Hart Lane at the Spurs Stadium 
to get to say goodbye to the Spurs fans. I resent it. I hate it when players leave during the summer without having a chance to get to uh, say goodbye to the fans, and particularly with the pandemic and nobody being in the grounds for 18 yeah. months. And I knew that, you know, Sissoko has been a, a good servant to the club. Uh, perhaps his form fell away dramatically in the past nine or 10 months, which you could say about virtually every single yeah. non-Son and Kane player at Spurs. And Danny Rose, for all that he's got into a PR tug of war with, with Daniel Levy and all the rest of it, and with, and with Mourinho, he has been fantastic over a decade at Spurs. And during, there were times during that when he was clearly the best left back in the league. And I, I, I really, really wanted him to get the kind of applause that he got from the Spurs fans. Yeah, I was delighted to, to see that. It was really, it's, again, it's the kind of thing that's been totally lost over COVID. And it's kind of, it's fortunate, really, that this fixture occurred when it did. And that both Rose and Sissoko were in the Watford in the Watford squad. Like Sissoko got a huge, uh, he got he got a lot of applause during the course of the game. There was one moment where he, in classic classic Sissoko fashion, he sort of leant back and hit a shot that almost it almost cleared the stadium and ended up <laughs> at Bruce Grove Station. And he so he was warmly applauded. And then at the end, he did a bit of a walk when the Spurs players were walking around the pitch. Sissoko came back out, as did Danny Rose, who was an unused substitute for the game. Yeah. And that was great because, as you say, they're both, you know, that they both contribute an awful lot to Tottenham over a long period of time. I think Rose is probably probably slightly more fondly remembered, but just because he yes. was there for longer. He was there as a boy. He Probably a more talented player, if we're honest. Too. But Sissoko... His, de- his, his, his debut against Arsenal? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and also Rose was an integral part of the brilliant, brilliant Pochettino team hmm. in their peak years. Whereas Sissoko, not the most gifted player that you'll ever see at Tottenham, but gave absolutely everything that he, he, he could to the team... And was very important in that run to the 2019 Champions League final. Having to do all the midfield work single-handedly, basically, and just yeah. putting in you know, putting in the hard work and keeping the show on the road. So I think he is, I think Sissoko is, in his own way, an incredibly admirable footballer and also a very honest and popular guy, as is, as is Danny Rose in a slightly different way. Sure. And uh, as I say, clubs... Um, let, let these fellas move on without any regards to the relationship they've had with the fans. And uh, it was an yeah. unusual oh, yeah. situation. It just allowed those two to get clapped off the field. Now, we started talking uh, on this podcast about the robot, but I know that was only one of two fantastic uh, things that caught your eye over the past few days. We talked about uh, Fabio Peresici and whether or not he's had a good, bad or indifferent first transfer window. And of course, so much changes in the last day. Um, we'll see about that. But um, I sometimes forget, Jack, of course, that you're a generation, probably two generations younger than me. And to, to your observant eye, other things gleam and glint. And you noticed he was wearing a fantastic scarf at White Hart Lane. Yeah, so not many scarves being worn at Tottenham yesterday. It was still August, you know, August <laughs> bank holiday weekend. Uh, but Paratici was wearing this hu- huge kind of light brown, I think it would have been woolen, scarf it's the kind of thing that you know a proper football man probably wouldn't have worn you know i, I yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't have expected to see harry redknapp or tim sherwood wearing a scarf like that oh well, sherwood has got that gilet to be fair he has got that, that gilet i mean look you know what the fuck do i know about fashion nothing i'm a football journalist what's your suspicion jack that it costs 300 quid in burlington arcade <laughs> I, I, I think add another zero to that. I don't know. What do I know? I'm wearing, I'm wearing a Dulwich Hamlet t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I would. Ex- yeah. It, it was. It struck me as a quite a distinctive item.
Yeah, so Spurs have um, struggled their way with that 3-0 win at home into the group stage of the Conference League. I am not one for mocking the Conference League. I think if you're in a competition, you should try and do your best to win it. I know it's a massive distraction, but Spurs have got lots of gifted reserve players and young players, and they should give it their best shot. With that in mind, I watched the draw for the Conference League group stages with slightly bitter nails. And of course, it turns out Spurs are on the equivalent in the Conference League of the Group of Death, by which I mean, Jack, that I recognised two of the three clubs that came out of the hat. Hmm. Uh, for the record, Vitesse Arnhem was one of those. Wren was another. But the one I didn't recognise, I've got to be honest, and of course I do a European football show, so I should be ashamed of myself, was NS Mura of Slovenia. And um, we've had a little bit of fun, actually, before the uh, podcast started, trying to make links to these clubs you know, between Spurs and they. The best we can do for the Slovenian lot is to say they share a name with Lucas Mora. So we'll leave it at that. I'd never heard of the Slovenian team. I'm no. not a Slovenian football expert. No. I mean, I probably am by the standards of you know, the, the general public in the UK. A proud boast, a proud boast, Jack. But I'd, n- I'd never heard, of, I'd never heard of, of NS Mora, nor of the town where they're from, which Wikipedia tells me is... Muska Sobota, which is basically up in the far top right-hand corner of Slovenia, near to Hungary. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you've been to Slovenia, Danny. It's no. a really, really beautiful country. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I would totally recommend it to to anyone. But I'm. This is not, you know, Ljubljana. Uh, it's, no. it's a long way on the other side. I presume it's in some sort of disputed territory because um, post the breakup of Yugoslavia and before that, the Habsburg Empire, all these. Towns, cities, rivers, and valleys are all disputed. Yeah. So Wikipedia says it was in the it was in the Kingdom of Hungary until 1918. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it has a Hungarian name and a German name as well, as I think lots of you know some places in that part of the world do as well. Well, I, my, my big question really with with this kind of draw is, can fans go? Like, I don't know. I don't. I genuinely don't know what the travel restrictions are with Slovenia at the moment. But I do know as a football fan that going to obscure foreign games in the group stage of European comp- competition is one of life's great delights. Yeah, of course. You know, going going to somewhere you'd never other New place, course, new know, culture, new food, going to new Barcelona, people. going to Napoli, Madrid, whatever, is, is fantastic in its own way and glamorous and fun. And I know Spurs fans will have enjoyed that over the years. But going to going to a game like this is one for the is one for the real heads. Yeah. And uh you get a better, you know, you get a kind of quite a magical experience sometimes. So I just hope for the sake of the the Tottenham fans that Slovenia, you know, might be letting in vaccinated vaccinated Brits. We can contact Christian Romero on Instagram. He seems to be the local expert on who can travel where, what, why and when. Um, we did find links between the two other clubs. I think you found a link between Spurs and Wren. Is that right? Well, so I found a... I found a not quite real link, which was that I found someone who played for Ren and almost played for Tottenham. Okay. And that was Usman Dembele, the former Celtic and I think now Leon. Leon, yeah, forward, scored at the weekend, yeah. Who nearly went to Tottenham and then his mood collapsed under in the Pochettino era. So had he got had he has he gone to Spurs, he would have been a rare player to have played for Ren and Tottenham. Yeah, and I think I could do the Vitesse Arnhem one. But um, there is another. Oh, sorry. sorry. There, there, there it, is another an player. actual one, yes. An actual player oh, good. who our producer Tom. Um, yes. Do you want to give it away? No, you no, you, you you say who it was, and I'll, okay. I'll do. So for for those playing along at home, yeah, this guy was a defender from the mid two thousands. Clue: He's not French. Yep. And the other clue is he scored a famous goal. 
Yeah, and so we worked out from that it was Eric Edmund, bless him, the Swedish defender who played for Spurs, then went to Wren, and then uh, perhaps not so happily came back to England to play for Wigan, played uh, left back for Wigan in that famous game at the old White Hart Lane where Spurs ran up nine. Wigan got one. Incidentally, that was a handball. I don't hold these things. I don't keep them in, but their goal was handball. And Jermaine Defoe, if I remember rightly, dribbled past poor Eric five times to score his five goals. I think I've got the right. could have been four, but I think it was five. And Eric, his contract was torn up by Wigan. I don't think he played for them ever again. Oh, well. So Eric Edmund is another link between Spurs and Wren. And the link between Spurs and Vitesse Arnhem, um, brace yourselves, Spurs fans of a certain vintage, around the turn of the century, when around Glenn Hoddle's time as manager, when Spurs didn't have the proverbial pot into which to micturate, they had a player called Willem Corsten. And they were always, these very cheap players came and Glenn would always compare them to Franz Beckenbauer. Oh, oh yeah, this is the Dutch Beckenbauer. Make no mistake about that. Well, Willem was a pretty average player. But I seem to recall that uh, before an injury wrecked his time in his whole career, I think, he got a winning goal against Manchester United. Somebody again can put me right on that. How you can do that on a podcast, I have no idea. But I'm just saying it to be democratic. Uh, Willem Corsten got one famous winning goal against Manchester United for Spurs. And then he got a terrible injury. And I remember for two years after that, he was always on the verge of, uh, you know, getting back in with the, with the, out of the training group and into the playing group. But he never seemed to quite make it. Um, so Wren, Vitesse Arnhem and Enes Mura, the latter being the most interesting venue, uh, all lined up to play Spurs in this conference. The other thing that Spurs fans might notice is that uh, Vitesse Arnhem, of course, are closely associated with Chelsea. Mm. Uh, Over the years, lots of Chelsea players have gone out to Vitesse Arnhem on loan, including Mason Mount, probably most successfully. So Spurs fans, sometimes I think these Europa Europa Conference League games can get a bit over-friendly, but if Spurs fans are looking for a bit of extra spice... Then they, you know, they can use the fact that Vitesse Arnhem are the kind of Dutch partner club of Chelsea. Yeah, Ch- Chelsea will probably loan them about sixteen brilliant players uh, just prior to the to the first of the games. We shall see. Jack, listen, I think we've managed to get through uh, in pretty short order uh, most of the issues from the weekend and with the closing of the transfer window, plus rowing machines, plus fashionable scarves. It only leads me to ask you, really, what have you got in The Athletic currently and what are you working on that we could read in the next few days? So I'm mainly working on trying to f- stay on top of what's happened in the last two days of the window. You know, it's currently Monday afternoon. In terms of what happens next, well, like I said, it depends on Serge Aurier, really. If Aurier goes, I think they will get it right back. If Aurier doesn't go, then I think that might be it. Maybe I think they would like an attacking player as well, although they have so far not been able to get in another attacking player. Um, so that's it, really. Focusing on the transfer window, and then I'll be off after that doing some uh, covering some of the England games for the during the. Are you tra- are you travelling, Jack, or are you going to do the? Uh, I'm travelling to Warsaw, but not Budapest. Okay, thank you. Listen, that, as always, thank you very much indeed, and thank you for doing it in. Um, uh, Dulwich Hamlet t-shirt. Um, is it always Dulwich Hamlet or do you change uh, to other lower league teams or are you a Hamlet fan? Uh, I have other... Oh, I have other t-shirts. Mm. I don't just have one t-shirt. No, no, no. no. I get oh, no, but no. When, when it comes to non-league loyalties, yeah, Dulwich. So I only live... Uh, 
not that far away. So since I've been living in South London, I've been going quite a lot, and I do I do really enjoy it. It's nice brilliant to watch club. Football. No, it's a brilliant club. Real football. I know. Um, not that Tottenham isn't real football. No, no. But you know what and I mean. and and at some stage when we when we finally get together and have a pint, I'll I'll tell you about uh, somebody I know is a legend over there at the, at the club and uh, has helped to run it for many many years, and we're great friends. Thank you very much indeed, Jack. Thank all of you for listening. I don't forget, of course, um, new listeners and those of you who are regulars on the award-winning View from the Lane podcast. Um, It's out twice a week now, so there's this one, myself and Jack. We'll be joined by at least one other of our spas, our confrères, our confidants for the Thursday edition as well, by which time we'll know um, who Spurs have got rid of and who Spurs have brought in. Uh, We look forward to that as well twice a week for the podcast now. Thank you for listening to this one. And don't forget, uh, if you want to hear what Jack, has, uh, read what Jack's been talking about in his own writing and anything else, if you're not already a subscriber, you can read those articles by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up for the 33% discount on a full subscription. As I say, we'll be back on Thursday. Thanks such a lot for listening. The Athletic.